This is episode 96 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Christy Knickerbocker. She's a speech-language pathologist and singing voice specialist in Fort Worth, Texas. She rehabilitates voice and swallowing at her private practice, Ah Tempo Voice Center, and lectures on voice science nationally. She also owns and operates a mobile fees and video stroboscopy business, Voice Diagnostics, in the DFW Metroplex. She's part of the Professional Development Committee for ASHA Special Interest Group 3, Voice and Upper Airway Disorders, and a member of the National Association of Teachers of Singing, the Voice Foundation, and the Pan American Vocology Association. Christy blogs on her website at www.atempovoicecenter.com. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. And I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello there and welcome back. Just have a big announcement for everybody. We are going to be opening the doors to the MedSLP Collective on July 12th. I'm so excited to finally be opening them. Thank you, everybody who has been waiting so patiently. If you've been on the waiting list, you'll get an email right away. Um, yeah, so what is the MedSLP Collective if you are not familiar with it? Well, it was actually designed for a very specific group of medical SLPs. If you're feeling unfulfilled in your career as a medical SLP or perhaps a bit confused on how to move forward, if you're feeling completely overwhelmed, overworked, overstressed, misunderstood, underappreciated in your facility, if you feel like you're riding the therapy hamster wheel, unsure if you're even providing good care for your patients, if you are getting overwhelmed with how much medical SLP information was missing from your graduate education that you're now expected to know, maybe you're feeling a little bit angry that you received the same training as clinicians who work with kindergartners, and now you feel like you have huge gaps in what you need to know to treat these medical cases. Maybe you've been working in the field for a while. Are you feeling frustrated that there's no one single centralized source to stay up to date on all the latest research and treatments that are coming out every year? Are you even sure that you're providing the right and best, most up-to-date treatment techniques for your patients? Well, imagine if there was one place that you could go to receive all the support and resources to help you eliminate these feelings. Imagine how much time and frustration you would save if you had immediate access to one centralized location for blind peer-reviewed resources. Imagine if you had access to several clinical experts and university professors to help guide you in your clinical decision-making with personalized responses to your clinical cases. Do you think then your patients would receive higher quality care and make progress towards their goals? Do you think you would get more rewarded and recognized for this progress among your patients? Well, this is exactly why I created the Medical SLP Collective. It's a monthly membership program and vibrant community of fellow medical SLP clinicians and researchers who are supporting each other to provide better care for their patients and therefore also advance their careers. So what do you get in the collective? You get weekly done-for-you resources. So each week you'll receive a new video created to help educate you all about all areas of medical SLP, including dysphagia, aphasia, motor speech disorders, voice disorders, NICU, PEDS, and cognitive communication. 
You'll also get information on how to advocate for your patients within the organizational bureaucracies that often make you feel like your patients don't matter to the doctors and nurses. Each video also comes with a PDF handout that gives you links to all the resources and references you need to implement, and they can all be printed for convenience to take on the go. The resources never go away. The library just continues to grow. So you will always have access to all the previous videos and handouts. Also of note, all resources are blind peer reviewed. So you deserve to have confidence in knowing that the materials you are using for your patients are the latest evidence-based and designed to save you from weeding through all the crap. We cover aphasia, dysphagia, dysarthria, voice, cognitive communication, and NICU, just to name a few. Additionally, each month we have two-hour live webinars that are offered for ASHA CEUs, delivered by some of the most foremost clinical experts and researchers in the field, so you'll get a chance to vote on the most relevant topics to you each month. And also, if you can't attend the webinars live, that the recording is always put in our library, so if you join now or July 12th when we open, you have access to all of the previous past webinars that you can take for ASHA CEUs. And lastly, but I think most importantly, we have our private forum and Facebook group. So we have both a Facebook group and also a private forum that has its own app to ask all your clinical questions there. We have several, I believe 20 to 25 different clinicians and researchers that act as moderators and mentors to ensure you receive personalized guidance supported by the evidence to help treat your patients as best as you can. Many of our members in the collective say that the private forum in the Facebook group is worth the price of admission alone as you get real life frontline in the trenches support from your fellow clinicians with researchers to back it up and a team of trained guides to answer your every question. So again, medslpcollective.com. It is opening July 12th. It's a monthly membership site. So if you join us and you decide it's not for you, no biggie. We also have a seven day money back guarantee. So again, if you jump in, download every single resource, watch every single webinar and still decide you don't like it, you can get your money back. So <laughs> I do hope that you will see the value of what it is. It's a wonderful community. I could not be more proud of how it's turned out. Yeah, I, I, I really don't have anything to say other than I love it so much and I really, truly hope you'll join us. So that will be opening on July 12th. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Teresa. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Just rolling along. It's a good Tuesday and ready to chat with you. So yes, awesome. All right. Well, tell the people a little bit about who you are. I am Christy Knickerbocker. I am a speech language pathologist and I specialize in voice and voice disorders. I run a private practice clinic in Fort Worth, Texas, where we provide instrumental exams, uh, video stroboscopy and fees exams for dysphagia. And I also run a mobile swallow and video stroboscopy exam company as well that services the greater DFW area to a certain point. I think I go two hours and we're I'm also serving Southern Oklahoma at this point now awesome for that so yeah i am i'm a singer by trade got interested in speech pathology when i had a vocal injury myself that required surgery to remove a cyst on my left vocal cord and since then i had well, had surgery and then voice therapy so i was the patient and the rest is history so yeah awesome so i'm sure a lot of people know you from instagram because you just post awesome educational videos and things like that on instagram and if nobody's passionate about voice disorders than they are now after watching all of everything you post. So 
Oh, thank Keep you. Up. You're doing awesome. I so, yes. I so appreciate that. Cause it's like, yes. it's a labor of love and you just do it. it is. And, you know, you start doing it and no one's watching. And then people are like, wow, <laughs> you're doing this. I'm like, well, I've been doing this for years. Yeah. People are just not kind of taking notes. So it's just, it's something I find interesting. And if you think voice disorders is hard in school or you find it boring or it just scares you period, like I'm on, I'm on that mission to make it easily accessible research. Yeah. I think for me, it just, it was so technical and analytical in grad school. Like I didn't have a good application of it, you know, whereas like you make it so real because you're like patients that are singers, you know, like, like exactly what you went through. But it's like, I just remember like transcribing voice samples and I'm like, this is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I feel (laughs) you. So thank you for making it real and personable. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. All right. So we are totally switching gears because maybe talk a little bit more about voice, but why are we here today, Christy? We're here today because I have a story to tell and it has really, really changed. I mean, obviously things were changing in my mind about treating dysphagia before this happened to me, but my grandfather in the beginning of this year broke his back and ended up slipping into the Uh, rehab after surgery kind of thing. And he then got picked up by a speech pathologist in his inpatient rehab facility. So I wanted to share the story of kind of what went on there and how he's doing now. Yeah. All right. So let's dive into it. What happened to grandpa? So he, in January, let me give you a backstory on him. He is a World War II veteran. He's a hundred he is sassy as all get out and cognitively <laughs> intact, like smart as a whip, very funny too, and cranky. And he just can't hear for anything. So it's like, if you're talking to him, you miss it because he can't hear himself. So the feedback's poor. And so his his speech gets garbled sometimes. And so I always know when his hearing aids have been clean because he speaks more clearly <laughs> and articulately. <laughs> like, oh, you got your hearing aids clean. And my mom's pretty much one of the only people that can, he can hear everything she's saying, I guess he's, he's tuned to her, but so he lives at home and he walks pretty well and then was walking with a walker and we don't know how it happened, but he tripped and fell and broke his back and was in just excruciating pain. And so my mom took him to the ER close to his house. So it wasn't downtown in Fort Worth. It was kind of an outlier city and they did an x-ray and they did, and I'm pretty sure they did a chest x-ray too. Cause that's when they decided, Oh, we think he has pneumonia. And, but they weren't sure. So they treated him with this big round of antibiotics and then morphine. And he was like talking out of his mind and just crazy. And I was like, oh my God, it's downhill. You know, this is it. Cause the pain was so bad for him. And so because he was a hundred, they had said, well, you know, we don't really know about surgery for him, but we'll transport him to a better equipped hospital in downtown Fort Worth. And we said, okay, that's great. And before that he had had another x-ray that pneumonia or what they thought was it had not cleared up. So they gave him another round of antibiotics and sent him to, to a hospital in downtown Fort Worth. So we get there, they're still not sure if it's pneumonia. And now the doctors are saying, well, maybe it's fluid on his heart. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, he's had this big double round of antibiotics and nothing has changed with this. So I'm, I'm sitting here on the sideline saying, I don't think this is pneumonia guys at all. Yeah. Yeah. So we're there at Harris and interestingly enough, we decide, well, we're not sure if he's a candidate for this back surgery. And so they get him kind of hooked up with a neurosurgeon and, and the surgeon says, well, he's a hundred. Do you really want to do this? He's probably going to die. Like the anesthesia, he won't go through it. And we, you know, we looked, we were like, he's just, he's not himself. He's just withering away because of the pain because he's on all these crazy drugs. So we said, fine, do the surgery. So we all kind of like said our goodbyes, you know, thinking he was not going to wake up, totally pulled through the surgery. Of course. Of course. And, (laughs) 
so he's like he's in this back brace and so now he's moved to you know the the recovery rooms in the hospital and they're trying to talk about you know pt's coming in to assess and and he's getting better slowly every day and then you know nothing he's coughing but you know growing like hanging out around him and growing up to probably for the past four or so years he coughs with meals so you know to me as a speech pathologist i'm thinking this guy's probably aspirating but he's not losing weight he doesn't have pneumonia has never had it so i wasn't you know too concerned but he was coughing a lot more but still able to eat, eating like a horse, if you ask my mother. So we um, so we admitted him to a an inpatient rehab facility that was newer in Fort Worth. So it wasn't staffed very heavily. And it was like literally brand new, like it still smelled new. So got him there. The, the like, It was like a week, maybe he'd been there. He was coughing with meals. So nursing reported him to speech pathology. And so this speech pathologist came in and did a bedside you know, unbeknownst, we weren't there, unbeknownst to us, from what she had written, had did uh, listening to him, feeling on him and trying him with liquids. He coughed with them. He coughed with nectar thick and he did not cough with honey. So her recommendation was changing him to honey thick and getting an instrumental. So I agreed with the instrumental, but I vehemently disagreed with the honey thick recommendation because like what, like, how do you know he's not aspirating on that, you know? So I got some research and got armed with some things. I'm like, and it's tricky. It's touchy. Like I would never want somebody to come to my clinic and tell me how to do my job. Like I would be so upset. Yeah. But for me, it's my family member and this is not best practice. And so I printed off some of your awesome blogs and I took them with me. I had their, their crumpled still because I could never run into the speech therapist. I, before we did the instrumental, I did talk to her on the phone to kind of ask what she had done at bedside and like kind of what her thoughts were. And I, I, again, didn't feel comfortable saying, well, here's what I really think you should be doing. I really wanted to see her face to face and say, hey, you know, when's the last time you looked at evidence for what you're doing, you know, like, and all that. So my goal was to meet her face to face and talk to her with that and attempted to do that about five times, still could not get a hold of her. So that is still an untied up end and you know something I wanted to discuss on here with you and, and your thoughts too regarding that. But anyway, we did say yes. Yeah, you know, my mom was kind of like, Oh, why do we even need an instrumental then? I was like, Well, let's just see, you know, what's what's happening and what the recommendations are. So got a modified barium swallow study. They came to the facility and tested and started with nectar thick, never ended up testing thin. This says he aspirated before the swallow on nectar by teaspoon due to decreased timing of swallow, premature loss, and decreased laryngeal elevation and closure. Reflexive throat clear noted, however unproductive. They cued him to cough. It was weak and unproductive with residues remaining along the vocal cords and anterior tracheal wall. Patient continued. Continued to aspirate during the study on residues that dipped below the level of the vocal cords with natural respirations and additional swallows. So all of that to say recommendations for him were NPO. Oh my God. This says consider alternative means of feeding for main source of nutrition hydration and monitor patient for that. It says to educate the family, do you know these exercises, do you know, ESTEM adduction exercises. Therapy may be limited due to cognitive status. And I was like, first I was like, do you know this man? Like, yeah. also, and then on the history too, I, we're still not sure if he had pneumonia 
and even asking, they, they have this meeting where they come around with all the doctors and, you know, interdisciplinary meeting. And I'm like, you know, sitting there going, what, what is your opinion on these scans for him? Do you think he has pneumonia? And no one could ever give me a straight answer. The, yeah, and the gal yeah. was like, I, she's like, this looks like fluid on his heart. He's been treated with all this. So again, still don't really know. I think that's what's like so maddening, you know, like I, I know that Dr. Suter posted a little bit ago that it's something that only like 10 to 15% of pneumonias are actually caused from aspiration. And then Dr. Coyle chimed in too and said, oh, I can't, I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically the reasoning he gave was that it's even lower than that. So it's like at this point, you know, we don't. That's crazy. That's crazy right, low. Right. right. It is crazy low. And, and the thing that just is, you know, I had him on the podcast too. And it's like, so many people are just using this aspiration pneumonia as a catch-all term. And it's almost like, then what happens? Then your poor grandpa gets thrown down this rabbit hole. And, and it's, it's, I was going to say, it's funny. It's not funny at all, but I literally had the same exact thing happen yesterday. I went to go scope a guy and it didn't say anything. I could not figure out why I was there in yeah. the chart. Yeah. So I asked the daughter and she said, oh, they, the speech pathologist at the hospital told us he has pneumonia. And I was like, there's literally nothing in the chart about pneumonia. <laughs> and she's like, no, but the doctor here said that the fluid that they're seeing, they think it's because of CHF. And I was like, so one person's treating something because they think it's pneumonia. The other person's treating CHF because they think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. None of this is written in the chart anywhere. Like it was just, it was bananas. Like, <laughs> and it, you know, it's like, you, you can't fault anyone. Cause I know we're all doing the best that we can with the information that we have, but it's like, oh, where yeah. do we get on the same page here? Like <laughs> yeah. at what point is it, are we not going to, are we going to stop using aspiration pneumonia as this blanket term yeah. and just say, everybody has aspiration pneumonia. Everybody needs to be on thick and liquids or MPO, you know, yeah. it's <sighs> getting me fired up now, Christy. Well, okay. I know. And I knew the same. <laughs> Because it gets okay, me fired thanks. up. And like, you know, me, my Instagram is a voice place and it's a thing. Yeah. But I just could not help but share. And I had so much feedback. Like, holy crap. Yeah. Like all the DMs of like, good for you. But then also the ones of like, what do we do here in X town where we don't have access to instrumentals? And it just drives yeah. me to, to help educate with this and make this right. better. Right. And, you know, from top down of like doctors saying, you know, right. you think we need an instrumental, we need to get one and, and them not thinking we can do any kind of evaluating with at bedside with feeling. And right. I mean, I think for me, like, of course, I'm so passionate about instrumentals. It's, you know, the cornerstone of everything you that are? I do, but I really? think. Tell me how passionate you are. About <laughs> I know. I know. Um, maybe I should start a whole podcast about it, but, <laughs> but really like I, what I find so fascinating is how much we don't know about like where pneumonia comes from and oral care and how this is all this all plays a role you know like you yeah. said it was like it was shown that grandpa was aspirating residue so they immediately went to npo you know instead of considering all these other factors does he have any predictors of pneumonia how is his oral care you know like i really i i think it's dangerous to make these npo blanket statements without consulting the family to find out all this other information. I agree with you. And my worry initially was like, well, if we're listening to the scal's recommendations at bedside, he's not going to, he literally was like, what is this blank? Yeah, and I yeah. was like, this is what, this is what they want you to drink. 
I don't think you need it. Let's wait till we can see what we're seeing. And he was like, okay. I had a very similar situation with a close friend from grad school, actually. And she had texted me and she said, can you read through this, this modified report? And I said, yeah. And so I read through it and I said, oh, this, this is a a really good thorough report. You know, I I said, I, you know, talked, I'm I'm sure talked to the SLP and she said, well, they recommended, you know, honey thick. And I said, you know, it, you know, talk, talk to her, see what I said, this report is very thorough. So I do believe she had some rationale as to that, but talk to her, you know, and if you don't want to go that route, you don't have to go that route. Your dad does not have to go that route. It's up to you guys. Yeah. So, so they talked and the SLP was like, to be honest, if it was my dad, I would go with thin, but you know, just based on everything I saw, we really just thought honey was the way to go with this patient. And, and it, it was a really great collaborative effort between the two of them. The doctor read this and was like, honey thick. I don't think we should do that. We should just go NPO with the peg. <gasps> Convinced the family to get a peg and he died a month later. Oh yeah. God. I know. I know. That so was she so- was like devastated. <sighs> I know. I know. She was like, I'm mad at my family because I tried to educate them. And I, cause I just was like, there's no research that shows that a peg is the way to go for patients with dementia there. I can show you so much research that yeah. shows other ways. So she tried to educate her family, but this doctor just was like, no, he needs a feeding tube. That's where we should go. And so she's actually spearheading this whole education now about why feeding tubes are not the way to go for patients with dementia. But yeah, it was, it was hard. It was hard to be on the inside and watch the whole thing unfold. You know, that's just so frustrating. Cause I can remember, you know, as a young clinician, as a CF and LTAC, like these recommendations for these patients, and then they would get a peg and then they would die like the same way, like a month later. And I'm like, was that the right thing to do? And like, looking back, I would, I would like morph into whatever I could to talk to clinic, young clinician me and be like, do not let, you know, one, I would want to have educated myself better upon graduation, but then it's like, don't let these doctors, cause it was threatening. It was like, well, if you make this recommendation, Christy, and this patient gets pneumonia, I'm blaming you for all the respiratory stuff we're going to have to do. Right. And and that was scary to me. And then right. on the other, it was like, well, you're going to lose your license if you say the wrong thing, if you don't have them fill out this form that says they're going AMA. Right. It's just ridiculous. And and the other thing too is, is after this test. So, so the, so back to the, the modified that, that they gave him, their other recommendation was therapeutic trial feedings only with treating SLP of puree, he has teeth that he puts in, with chin tuck and nectar by teaspoon, repeat swallows required in chin tuck position, and discontinued trials if overt signs and symptoms of aspiration are observed. And then they had him sign this form that says he's refusing, because we were like, no. Yeah, <laughs> I, had this yeah. Meeting, I was like, I really, my dad was there, my mom was there, like, you know, because she's PO, power of attorney. And we're like, what you know, what do you guys recommend? And me as a clinician, like, I want to hear what they're recommending. And it was like doom and gloom. They were like, he's got less than six months. If he's going to go this way, if you guys don't do a peg, he's obviously aspirating. I see this all the time. So you're going to have to sign this form that says you guys are going to refuse our recommendations. Oh my God. They slowed. And that's what frustrated me the most, Teresa, because as soon as we, we got him home, I had him, I did amp care. Did you guys sign that form? He signed it. Yes. Even though that's, I mean, that's considered coercion in, in a court of law. I wasn't present when he signed it. This is his signature though. He yeah. wrote my mom. Okay. No, my mom's been there. Cause this is my mom's handwriting. My mom said, 
the name and then I do hereby refuse the physician's order for NPO. And then someone filled this out of being informed of total penetration of aspiration. Whatever that is. (laughs) Daring swallow. Yeah. And then aspiration risk is very high and chronic resulting in chronic high risk of infection and respiratory failure. I have been offered the following alternatives and refuse them. I'm refusing NPO and tube feeding. I'm requesting general regular diet with sin liquids. And they had him sign it. The physician signed it. The speech therapist signed it and the nursing staff representative. Yeah. So I would encourage everybody to go back and listen to it's episode five or six with Nanette Crawford. Because there is a federal law in place called the Patient Self-Determination Act where the patient, and it was specifically made for residents of Medicare and Medicaid, for patients to be able to make their own choices. So by them signing that, having them sign that waiver, that waiver would not hold up in a court of law because it's going against the patient's wishes in this federal law. So that's something that I'm super passionate about, too, is giving patients their, you know, choices That episode talks a lot about informed consent and how it's important to bring everybody to the table and get all the information out there. You know, obviously the modified had some sort of relevance, but what are all the other pieces? You know, like I said, where's the, you know, how's the oral care? How's his cognitive status? Is he walking? You know, things like that. So informed consent is really the way to go as far as just documenting, you know, this is what we recommended. Patient was educated on this. Patient's choices are that this is our decision. You know, I I think what makes me angry is like no patient has ever sued someone for having their own wishes honored. You know, like, (laughs) like, like what's the threat there? So people are going to come back and sue, sue you because their family member died because you were giving them food when they asked you for food and you had told them and the family that there's a risk of pneumonia developing. Right. We're not the diet. I just, I hear you in my mind. Right. Like, we're not the diet police. That's not. Right, right, right. Completely. So anyway, it was just, it was frustrating for me because like, I knew we were making the right decision for him when we were still there. And again, at that point in time, he was not himself at the main hospital. He was getting better. He was just really depressed at the, the inpatient rehab. He just wanted to go home. And so yeah. they were like, well, but I still, I just, I still feel like she should have done therapy, even if he wasn't going to do what she asked, you know, what she was recommending there. That's, you know, cause he's losing days. So when we got him home, yeah. I implemented some things, including EMS T150. I did amp care. We did the, the restorative posture device that they've got and he just got better and better. And the other thing was we were, you know, with that huge meeting, they were saying, you know, his his respiratory status is poor and da, da 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 And like, it was fine. Like he got off oxygen a couple of days before we left. He was not on oxygen at home. They brought it in case he doesn't use it. I think my mom's given it to him a couple of times when he gets tired. She's like, here, try this. And then he's like more energized, but she checks his stats all the time. He's just kicking it. He can yeah. walk. He is eating normal meals still. Like we went to Japanese Palace, which is like this hibachi place in Fort Worth. And it's been there forever. I've spent every birthday I've ever had, I think starting at five years old there. But he just, he posted up, he drank a couple Shiner Box and, you know, is just able to live normally. This would not be happening if he had a peg. He would yeah. be like, yeah. give me a way out. Yeah. I just know this because he was discussing those types of things at 
at the inpatient rehab. And so, you know, I don't know if, if going home and being happy just to be in his house made a difference in morale, but I can't think that being home was the only reason he, you know, improved in respiratory status. Like nothing. I mean, yeah. I just want people to hear this when they're making these recommendations, especially for someone as old as he is, because quality of life still matters no matter how old you are, because he does not have dementia. But if he did, it would be the same thing. It was like, you know, what is quality of life for this patient? We need to be patient centered with our approaches and with considering all the variables before we make recommendations. And the hardest question is like, you know, the the family says, what would you do, you know, to the physician? And I was asking, I was that person. And I was the yeah. annoying. They were like, oh, yeah. God, the granddaughter is a psychologist. This is terrible. It shouldn't yeah. be terrible. Right, it should make right. you improve as a, as a professional. Right. I had a similar patient. Was it maybe last week or the week before? But I can't remember what I had recommended. I recommended something and the doctor came in and was like, well, we're not going to do that because, you know, he's had a good life. And I was like, he's had a good life. He's only 75. I think he's got a lot of life left to live. And he's like, yeah. no, I, I, I think he's had a good life. I don't, you know, I don't think we should go that route. And so I talked to the wife and I just was like, I think of like, I even think of my father-in-law. My father-in-law is almost 80 and he looks like he's like 40. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, 75, your, your grandfather still has 25 more years on top of that. Yeah. It's like, how are we the judge and the jury about whether someone's had a good life or not? Like, <laughs> we are not. Yeah. So <laughs> that is, that's funny. Yeah. And we just, we can't play, you know, I agree, judge and jury like that. Yeah. Because it's not our call. Like our call is to do our job and our job is to be avid consumers of latest advances in research and treatment and to disseminate that to the patient and the supporting family members as well as physicians that it makes me think who you were talking about, your friend who, you know, her father passed away, like it's physicians we need to educate too. And how hard is that? Right. They don't even have time to eat. You know, they're not going to sit down and listen to us say things. So what I've started doing is educating in my reports. Yeah. Cause I know they only read the recommendations. So I'm making sure even if it's redundant, I'm putting in important little snippets in the recommendation paragraph. Cause I know after working with them enough that are not reading the whole thing and they complain they complain about super long reports yeah they don't want the super long reports it's good that we're thorough they're happy for that but they go they're like they're like dang i got it where is that recommendation thing and they're flipping through all yeah. these pages oh there it is okay so yeah you know trying to educate and communicate with them in that way so that yeah. that's what they'll read so let me ask you a few so thank you for sharing all that chris yeah i would like to take a second and thank our wonderful sponsor endohd EndoHD is a true high-definition endoscopy system created specifically for SLPs by an SLP for conducting fee studies. It is a compact fee system with a maneuverable design that provides convenience to do fees in more locations in the hospital, ICU, CCU, PICU, exam room, patient room. At Altara Vision, they combine cutting-edge technology with clinician-inspired devices and phenomenal customer service to make the best imaging devices in the country. Go to www.ndohd.com forward slash contact to discuss your specific fee systems requirements, pricing, or to request a live product demonstration. Let me ask you a few more kind of specific questions here. So when you guys had that meeting, you know, how, how did everyone respond to you? Did they think you were the crazy granddaughter or did were they kind of like shocked when you were presenting some evidence and some research to support your 
wishes. I don't think they were shocked. And I don't think, I mean, at least they didn't act like I was the crazy granddaughter. What kind of trumped it was my dad. Who's like, Oh, I'm sure if you're listening dad to this, I, he is so thorough. Yeah. Just a very thorough person. He's an engineer. And just, there was a point in time when the whole meeting went to like the gal was like trying to say something. And my dad was like, but I just want you to listen, but I just want you to listen. And she was like, we hear you, sir. And he was like, but, and he went on for like 10 minutes. And then she was saying her answer was what he wanted anyway. And so part of it was that, but, but no, I think they were respectful. They listened. I presented information, but they weren't like, Oh, I hadn't heard that. It was like, Oh, thank you for your input. Here's what we're thinking, you know? So if they, if they listened and thought later, I hope great, but it wasn't like, Oh, that's changing everything for me. I don't, you know, where it looks like a bad reflection on them. Like I didn't know that, you know, which I guess I could see if it were me, I wouldn't be like, Oh my God, I need to go read up on that. So then I look like I'm an idiot. (laughs) Right. 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 The whole meeting was, was really respectful. They, the only thing that bothered me was they didn't take the time to talk to him. Like, he was lucid and just kind of deaf, you know, he just can't, his hearing loss is so severe. And so even with his hearing aids, but it was hard. I think some of it, and it frustrated me because obviously if, if I hadn't been there, I think my mom and my dad would have, you know, listened to them, but I still don't think they would have wanted to peg YouTube. Yeah. You know, looking back on it as it went down, but I I wished for better communication between the staff or a designated staff member, like the case manager, like she, you know, she kind of pulled it all together and I was pleased with her and, and how she was looking at everything. Cause she was, she came to my mom at one point and said, you don't have to do what they're saying. Yeah. It wasn't the speech pathologist. It was the case manager. Yeah. And I was like, thank you. But talked to him and, and looked at him and talked to him about, you know, they're recommending all these things you don't have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a patient yesterday. I don't, I don't want to give too many details. Yeah. So I would probably give it away, but yeah, you know, has, it has a neurodegenerative condition, but completely there. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. body's just not working, but brain's still 100% sharp. Mm-hmm. And the one CNA came in while I was doing the fees. And I just, you know, I said, what, I, I'm confused what diet, what consistency he's on. And the daughter said, well, I just give him thin water every night. He's thirsty and I give him water. Mm -hmm. And the CNA heard her say that. And she's like, you do? And she's like, she said something pretty repulsive. Like he hasn't died yet. And I was like, oh my God. But like, but the CNA was like, I I don't even know what diet he's on either, but I always make his liquids pudding thick. That's the only thing he can handle. What? And she's like, do you think he could handle thin water? Look at him. He needs pudding thick liquids. And I was like, oh, my God. OK. And I was like, well, let's, why don't you stand here and watch me do this study? Because we're going to try. We're going to try something liquids and we're going to see how things go. Yes. And it, it was I, I just couldn't believe that. Like, sometimes I feel like we've made a lot of progress in this field. And then it's like for a yeah. CNA to say, oh, I just ignore those recommendations and do pudding thick. Because that's what Anyways. I feel he can handle. Right, right. And so I just said to her, I said, can you explain like what, and I, I said, I'm, I'm trying to really see your side of things here. Can you tell me what you see at meals? And she's like, I just don't think his muscles can handle anything else. I said, 
is he coughing? Is he choking? Like, what's going on that makes you think he needs the pudding thick? And she's like, no, just look at him. He's very weak. And I was like, but that's not causation for <laughs> thick and liquids. Like, that, they're, they're not, Especially yeah. Especially that thick. I just. Yeah. Let's yeah. put you, let's put you on pudding thick, CNA. Yeah. yeah. Let yeah. us see. So, yeah. Uh, I know. That just, this instrumental thing, it goes back, I, that reminds me of a, a gal that I, I did, it's probably been six months now, but she was on, it was either nectar or honey thick, and I get there, it was just, she was coughing, she was coughing every time she swallowed, and they were convinced she was aspirating, and so I got there, do the fees, nothing, it's like, there's nothing, it, it whites out, every time there's like minimal residue, and we tested everything. And I was like, you're fine. And they were all hallelujah. But they were convinced. And these Indians, the nursing staff's coming in, PT's coming in, and they're going, she's not aspirating. And I'm like, look, I'm like, look yeah. right here yeah. and look at this and learn from this because what you think is going on is just maybe her reaction to the food, you know, or the, I mean, I don't know why she's doing it. Maybe it's habitual, right. but there was no reason this woman should have been on any kind of consistency that would potentially make her dehydrated. Yeah. Which was the worry for the honey thick with my grandpa. I was like, he's not going to drink this. So he's not going to drink anything because y'all aren't going to bring him anything. And he's going to go downhill in a week while we wait for this, you know, test to get done. Yeah. And then you get him in there and then he's really bad off. And they're like, Ooh, his oral care is just so bad. And his secretions are dry. This is just not a good thing. He's a huge aspiration risk. You know, so it's just, I'm happy we, I'm happy I was there. But then I think my mom's like, what about all the other people, Christy? She's like, yeah. what about these other people that they're doing this to? And I'm like, I know, I know. She'll be happy that, that I'm sharing this with people. Cause you know, I got fired up and she's like, you need to calm down, you know, at one point. And I'm like, but mom, like this is, I, this yeah, is my thing. And this is a, bad stain on, I mean, this makes me look like I don't want to, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm just some silly little speech pathologist who, you know, and, and then the more I look at it, I'm like, mom, if I can change one person's mind, if I can just share how he's, you know, what we did, what we didn't do and how he's doing now, maybe they'll think I should educate myself or maybe they'll think maybe I should make a different decision or maybe I should involve the family. I, I, I think yes. that's like my number one soapbox issue is like, did anybody ask the family? Anybody, anybody at all, you know? I, How often are you seeing that that doesn't happen when you're, you yeah. know, when you're in the field? Yeah. I, I'd be curious to see, you know, I know we could play coulda, woulda, shoulda for forever, but I think what just drives me nuts about doing fees so much is, is I would have loved to have seen your grandfather if he had had the, th if he had had thin water to clear the residue. I just, I see, like, I, I say that I get bored sometimes because I see these patients just have this thick secretion coated lining and yeah. then we dump thickened liquids on top of it. Then we dump yeah. more thickened liquids on top of it. No one can clear anything before you know it, it's all spilling into the airway. And then we discontinue the study and say it's done, but it's like, I'll go in and I'm like, let's take some water. Let's have some water. Let's have some water. Let's clear out the residue first. Let's clear out the secretions first. Yeah. Let's get that stuff cleared up. And it's amazing how the swallowing mechanism can work when it's not completely tied down from swallowing. hard, crusty secretions. Yep. Yeah. Like, how do how are we expecting people to swallow when that's what their baseline is? 
And I, and I called the company because yeah. I wanted to talk to the SLP who did the MBS, yeah. not accusatory. I just wanted to know what yeah, they were yeah. thinking so I, yeah. so I could learn. So the girl that did it didn't call. It was her supervisor who called me and said, you know, I don't know why she didn't do thin, but we're happy to come back and do another one. And I was like, I don't want to put him through another one. It's not going to change how the decision we're going to make. Yeah. But by calling, I just really wanted to, and we talked for like probably 20 minutes and it was not accusatory. I don't think they felt like I was being that way. And she took time. I couldn't, if, if she felt like she was being defensive, she didn't show it. Yeah. So I hope that it was a good yeah. call. Yeah. I just, I was like, you know, I was like, why did you not test then? Yeah. I think what's so, I think it was Dr. Ashford maybe that said, you know, like, I'm going to say this wrong, Dr. Ashford. So, <laughs> but like, I think he says something like, like the fun part of the study begins when the patient aspirates, but it's not, I don't think he says fun, but I think he says, that's when we I find what out what's mean. going on. That's when yeah. we get the information that we need. So when else are we going to get the information? Like, this is the time to get the information. So give, I mean, especially your grandfather who had none of these major, you know, predictors of pneumonia, none of these major respiratory conditions, give the man a sip of thin water and see what happens. Like this is the time to do it is on the study. I agree with you completely wholeheartedly. Yeah. So I just think protocols are just so important when, when we're doing instrumentals, because, you know, instead of saying, what if we can say, well, this is what happened. Yeah, completely. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your story, Christy. Thank you so much. I'm sorry your grandfather had to go through all this, but I'm so glad he had you to. I'm to not be sorry there. at all. Like <laughs> I, I learned. Yeah, because it yeah. gave gave me drive, and then sharing it on Instagram, and hopefully here too on Swallow Your Pride, has just. I mean, just like I said earlier, so many DMs of like, I see this all the time, kind of stuff, and yeah. like almost yeah. commiserating of, of like, yeah. You know, but I mean, I'm I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Because you're not only providing easy access to the materials to help us in the trenches, but you're constantly providing new content and in a way that makes us inquisitive about ourselves. So you do it in a way that's not accusatory, especially, you know, what you've been doing lately on, on Instagram. I, I mean, well, I you. think and people may yeah. disagree with me, which is fine. I'm okay if you disagree with me, but you know, if, if you're not asking those questions, then how are we going to be better? And how are we going to learn what other people are doing yeah. and yeah. what's your, what's your, your grad program taught you or, and what your grad program didn't teach you, what your CF year didn't teach you or what it did. What are you still doing? How is how is the rapport with senior clinicians who are convinced and set in their ways right. on certain things? And you're coming in like the young buck saying, can we look right. at this? And they're shutting you down right. instantly with, what do you know? You're just a new grad, you know? Right, right. So just keep up everything you're doing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm sure you get your share of not so nice I do very much so online. So just people that don't know that that happens, like it happens and yet she does it anyway, you know, it it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like once every three months, I let it bother me. But other than that, I try to just ignore it. (laughs) So, but yeah, it made me think of another thing. We had a conversation in the, in the collective a few weeks ago and and someone, a, a clinician had posted 
you know, I got this study back today and, and I don't understand why they did this. I don't understand why they did that. I don't understand why they did that. And the clinician that did this study was in the group. Oh. And the clinician that did this study, it en- it ended up like, I wish every like post or conflict could have this type of solution because the person was like, I did this because A, B, C, D. I didn't have access to any of that. The family never returned any of my phone calls. I didn't have any of that information from the chart. So I had to do what I could with the information that I had. And then the other SLP was like, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Like, here's my number. If that ever happens again, call me directly. And it was like, yes. Like, it was, (laughs) I got really excited because like they were both messaging me at the same time and they're both like, what did I do wrong? I want to do better. I want to help this person. I'm like, you did the best you could with the information you had at the time. You did the best you could with the information you had at the time. And now you guys are going to get on the same page and communicate with each other. And I think that's what, that's what sucks is when people don't even make an attempt to communicate. Like they don't make an attempt to communicate with the SLP. They don't make an attempt to communicate with the family. And like, I, I love when I have families in there, when I do the fees and I hate when the family's like, well, are you going to like, can I have a copy of your report? Because nobody here is going to tell me what the results were, you know? And I'm like, like just, why can't everyone just spend an extra five minutes communicating? Like, (laughs) it's really like it's it's not a matter of like productivity or anything it's a matter of doing what's best for your patient is communicating effectively yeah yeah your job is to communicate and we're we teach i mean the basis is i mean that's communication all of it right then the following's thrown in right 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 we're great communicators we're taught that in undergrad so right did you ever have any sort of resolution with your grandfather's slp i did not and I was going to, you know, I don't, I wanted to really to know your thoughts too. Like, I didn't know, I didn't want to be that person that was I like, know, I know, I know. And that's what stopped me to this day. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I could be helping the other people that person's helping, but, but maybe not, maybe that person's going to like rear her head back and be like, well, yeah. she's going to say that I don't know what I'm doing. Then honey, think for all, you know, obviously yeah. she's probably not going to but, but that's the thing in my head is, is I put myself in her shoes of someone coming right. into my clinic and saying, you're not doing right. this right. Like, right. or even saying, have you thought about how you're doing this? Like you have to be open to constructive criticism or else it's going to completely turn you the other direction mentally and emotionally against it. And yeah. you may be very resistant to even educating yourself at all. Yeah. I, I think the ways like, that I've... I, I hope I'm going to say this as like tactfully as I can, but I've probably like, it's really 50, 50. Like <laughs> there's some people that I will say like, have you seen this article? Like, I don't know if you've yeah. seen this paper, like this paper blew my mind when I read it, but like, I just wanted to share it with you. Cause maybe I like, I didn't learn this stuff in grad school either, you know, and, and I just want to share with you. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like I've had some clinicians that are like, oh my God, I had no idea. Like, thank you so much for sharing it. And then I've had other others that are like, I don't have time to read research. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for 20 years. Get that out of my face. So <laughs> I think it's worth attempting the conversation. It's going to end how it's going to end. But I think I find that's kind of the best way to go is just trying to share it, you know, instead of saying, it, not that you ever would say, you know, you did this wrong. But like, I just try to come at it like I just heard about this new piece of information, this new research paper. No one ever told me about this in grad school. Like, I just wanted to share this with you, you know, and that, that might be. That's a good be, way to put it. Yeah. Because then it puts you at an equal level and you're saying, you know, this yeah, is yeah. which is the truth. Like it yeah. did. 
Right. I mean, when I saw that paper like eight years ago, it blew my mind. Doesn't mean I have to tell the person it was eight years ago, but still, it's like, I, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's just, yeah. So then, you know, maybe I need to attempt. I mean, is it worth it? Is it worth like seeking her out at this point? What do you think? I think it is. Okay. And, you know, the thing is, she might listen to this. And that's the other thing. It's like, I didn't want to give too many details of like where he was. Right, or who right, 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 right. I mean, right. I don't want to ever want to ever, ever want to call anybody out because I would. I would feel so hurt right, myself. So, right. well, right. then that's the plan. Well, good. That's my plan. You'll have to let me know how it goes. I will. All right. Well, thank you so much. Is there any, what, anything else you want to share? I think that was everything. I just, I hope that, I hope that with this story that regardless of the patient's age, regardless of their cognitive status, that you're, you're thinking about the patient first and doing the best you can as a clinician. And it's okay to be resistant initially to the new information. Like no one likes to admit that they're wrong and no one likes to admit that they need, they have things to learn. And just because something's been working for you for a few years doesn't mean it's the best thing out there. So I'm just, I'm hoping that at least one person will think differently when they have a patient and they're about to walk in and do a bedside. Yeah, definitely. They're thinking before they say, I'm going to put you on this recommendation, you know, while we wait for the instrumental, I would hope they would think a little bit differently. Ask the patient, ask the family, ask the physician, ask nursing, ask the CNAs, you know, that's, that's my hope. What paper was it that made you think you didn't want to go right to the honey thick? It was the the Robbins at all. So the comparison of two interventions for liquid aspiration on pneumonia incidents, and it was a randomized trial and that was 2008. And the thing that stuck out to me was pretty far down in the article, looking at the discussion, secondary result from the test just found that participants drinking nectar thick liquids had a lower incidence of pneumonia than those drinking honey thick liquids. And then intriguing findings weren't further study, which really piqued my interest that nectar thick liquids may be easier to uh, clear from the airway than were viscous liquids as indicated by the longer meaning length of hospital stay for participants randomly assigned to that honey thick liquid who did develop pneumonia. So to me, it's like, you know, I never learned any of that in right. grad school. And I graduated grad school in 2012 and that paper came out in 2008. Yeah. So yeah. to me, if, you know, in, in school, it's like, if they're aspirating NPO, it's aspirating yeah. NPO. That's right. what we learned. But just this thing of, you know, even if they might be aspirating nectar thick, maybe they can clear it out of the airway better than the honey yeah. thick. Right. So even if they're not aspirating honey thick, I don't know. Just it, right. it, it, like you said earlier, it blew my mind to, to read something like that. And it made me start thinking. Yeah. I just think like what I just want everyone to understand is how it's just such a multifaceted issue. You know, it's not just, oh, he aspirated that equals MPO because that's going to equal pneumonia. It's like, there's so many other factors that have to be involved. And, you know, like you said, you just had, had your grandpa, your grandfather do some exercises too. It's like, where are all these exercises in this too? You know, it's like in the, you know, why don't you just try some exercises in the meantime, instead of just automatically downgrading them to MPO, you know? Yeah. Agreed. And then, you Um, know, if he's aspirating, let's, make his cough stronger. You know, you say he has a weak, unproductive cough. Why are we, why are you taking him off caseload? If you can provide him with something that's going to train him with some expiratory muscle strength so that the cough 
becomes effective. So maybe he can eat what he wants and be able to cough it out yeah. effectively, especially when he gets stronger. Yeah. You know, it just, it, it all, it all compiles. And again, like part of it too, interestingly enough, I felt like my mom was in a bit of denial on his status just to begin with of like, is he going to be able to come home? Should he go to a skilled nursing facility? Like, does he need round the clock care, you know, with the, with walking. And I think part of that may have influenced how they were recommending care for him because, you know, and I can vouch for this too. When we get a patient and an inpatient back when I was working at the LTAC, we didn't know that patient before. Like it's a patient we're seeing them point blank as is right today. And if you're lethargic and drooling and, you know, out of it, cause you're on these meds, like that's what we're seeing. And we're making our recommendations based on that. But my mom was seeing her dad gardening, chopping wood, like two days before he broke his back. Like that's the person she's seeing in the bed. And I think part of it was like, well, this is what we're seeing now. And, and she was like, well, I'm not believing you or, or she wasn't believing it and wanting to admit it, but it wasn't just about the the aspiration. It was other parts of his care plan. But, you know, I I just, I can't help but wonder, did, did her kind of rose colored glasses make any difference in how they were, how the staff was treating us or her or him based on that. But, you know, and it's not bad to be hopeful. I'm not dogging on her by any means and saying you shouldn't be thinking of him as your dad and thinking that he could get back to that. Cause he, I mean, I'd say he's like 95%. Like, I think he's just, he gets tired more easily. He uses his wheelchair if they go out anymore, but like he can walk. He can use a walker and walk and go to the bathroom by himself, you know, which what he was in diapers at the facility is just, you know, cause it's easier, I guess. Yeah. But you know, got, got off of that and, you know, is doing a lot better than I really thought he would do. Yeah. But I think she always thought he would get back to normal. So yeah. Yeah. I think I had a patient a few weeks ago that they, the patient was put on honey thick liquids at the hospital. No instrumental done, no instrumental recommended just at the bedside. Yeah. So, so I got there and and the the daughter was like, I'm so glad you're here because you're going to decide for us what we should do. And I was like, wait, what? And she was like, well, we want to take him home. And, And she kind of described exactly how your grandfather was. She's like, he's been gardening, like he's healthy man, but she's like, the doctor says that if he's on these honey thick liquids, like we need to consider a nursing home. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I was like, not even assisted living. And she's like, well, no, because the assisted living won't take him if he's on the honey thick liquids. Oh, gee. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, well, all right. I was like, well, we're going to do the study, but we're also going to have a conversation about all the other parts because there's a lot that goes into this and I'm not going to make the decision for you. I was like, I'm going to present everything to you and the doctor because there's so many moving parts. And she was like, well, I didn't, I didn't know that. They just made it sound like at the hospital, like he had to drink these honey thick liquids or he would die. And those were his only options. Oh my and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I, I probably spent probably two and a half hours with her. Just, I mean, I explained the predictors of pneumonia. I explained oral care. I explained just how it, so many things that go into these you know, situations and conditions and how there are exercises that can be done. And his swallow wasn't bad to begin with, you know? Yeah. And he's never had pneumonia, no history of pneumonia ever. So it it was just, yeah. (laughs) That's so so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, cause like at bedside, like why do you put a person on honey thick? Right. Right. They must be 
I, I think for me, what really is, is I can understand if you want to put someone on honey thick, but then not even, especially in the acute care where they may be so acutely ill that honey may be warranted. I don't know. I don't work in acute care. But when they say instrumental is not warranted, like that's when I lose my shit. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I know. <yeah. laughs> like, why is so, it not warranted? Yeah. Right. So now this person just has a death sentence of honey thick and there's nothing anybody's going to do about it. So, yeah, I, I just I, I want people to understand the repercussions of their actions, I think, and, and is really what I got from your story, too, is, you know, I, I'm sure if this SLP kind of heard this and heard the whole story, they would be mortified. But on the other hand, it's like we have to think this way. We have to think big yeah. picture and, and how our decisions can influence this patient's entire life. Because what would have happened? Like, I know I don't want to play what if, but like, yeah, I just right. I can't help but think. Right. If I had just stepped back and let that happen, like what right. would what would be going on right now? Right. I'm fully prepared for people to hear this and be like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, part of me is like, I just don't, I don't good. Like I'm glad yeah. I want yeah. you to hear the whole story. And hopefully that changes how you approach your next patient that you're evaluating for dysphagia. We yeah. have access to instrumentals in this area. So that was not an excuse, but that's what she recommended. So I'm happy for that. I just would have done things differently with the knowledge I have, yeah. you know, with that. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful All to right. share. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if people do want to follow more of your voice stuff, where can they find you? Everywhere. Or if you want to see more pictures of grandpa drinking a beer, where can they find you? Yeah. No, he's <laughs> on my stories all the time. I'm like, here he is with his shiner. Yeah. He needs to be an ad for shiner. He's just the cutest thing because my mom's Aww. bought him all these like little, little the, he wears his veteran hat, but then he's got these B-17 t-shirts that he wears because that's what he flew and over two and so awesome. everywhere, everywhere awesome. he goes he's just this cute little cartoon. Yeah. so y'all can find I'm pretty accessible you can always email me at info at autempovoicecenter.com and that's a-t-e-m-p-o autempo there there's a pretty fun instagram account that i run that's my life my private practice things that go on and a lot of vocal cords so if you're appalled by looking at images yes. of your inside your throat yeah. Probably not a follow for you, but I would assume you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't want to see that every once in a while right. learn from it. So that's on there at Christy underscore voice. And then I have a Facebook page and which it, if you go to my website, autempovoicecenter.com, it links to my Facebook and I have a YouTube channel as well. Awesome. On there. So yeah, pretty accessible. I, I respond to DMs unless they're creepy. So don't yes. be creepy. Or if you're a jerk. Sending me yeah. red roses. Right. You know? right. I don't right. want your red roses. I want, right. you know, I'll respond to you if. <laughs> yeah. I won't respond if to you if you're a jerk. So yeah. as a student, and that's the thing, like I had something the other day, the, the girl was like, thanks for being so approachable. And I was like, was there any thought that I might not be approached? You know, like, I don't yeah. know people's perception of me yeah. on Instagram. Like I'm just a person. Yeah. I just like what I do and I like to I share know. it. So yeah, I, I just find it so interesting that someone says something like that. I'm like, well, I'm so glad you found me approachable. Like, I'm, right. I'm glad. I don't know. Right. Just funny. Yeah. Follow yeah. me there. Interested. Interested to see anybody's thoughts when they listen to this. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Christy. Thank you. 
So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.